Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast. I'm your host, Frank Giles, and I am joined by Michael Rogers, the director of the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alford. Michael, welcome. Thanks, Frank. Well, good deal. Well, this is September. We're peak hurricane month uh, activity time uh, for hurricanes. So a little bit later in this podcast, we're going to have Christopher Vincent on to talk about some of his research that he did post Hurricane Ian last year to kind of analyze the impacts of the storm and things uh, growers can do or what they're doing to try to mitigate the storm. So we're going to take, take a pretty deep dive into that topic here later in the podcast. But Michael, I know you wanted to make a few comments and give some examples uh, that you thought were kind of timely on this subject. Yeah, thanks. And uh, and I know uh, Christopher will go into a lot more detail about what he's doing, but it, I don't want to steal his thunder, but, you know, it was it was um, he made the best of a bad situation following Hurricane Ian. And I, I liken it to, you know, you life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Well, I think he had a lot of his trials, field trials that were ruined um, by Hurricane Ian because the grove conditions, everything went pretty went south. And so he um, he shifted. He'll talk more about how he shifted some of his work to evaluate, you know, what things seem to make a difference in terms of recovering from the hurricanes. And um, but he's worked with a lot of folks and we've heard from a lot of growers and some of our researchers um, about things that we've noticed over time that have made a difference, um, especially following Hurricane Ian. And these are things that, um, you know, you can't always prepare in advance, but there are some things you can do. Um, that that will help those trees recover quicker. And, you know, one of our researchers, Dr. Tripti Vashesh, she's been working for quite a while on plant growth regulators. And um, she benefited, <laughs> if you can call it that, from the storm by um, some of her trials where she had uh, some of the plant growth regulators, gibberellic acid 2,4-D, uh, where they saw following the storm certain plots where these applications were made, there was a lot less fruit drop and damage on those trees uh, after the storm compared to some of the ones that didn't receive those plant growth regulator applications. And, and we also heard from uh, growers we had the, at the Citrus Expo just last month uh, during the grower panel, um, something that caught me I wasn't expecting to hear, but it was really interesting, was one of the growers mentioned how um, their grove had been flooded uh, for quite a while because of in. And in the areas where they were using the gibberellic acid, you know, those trees were able to survive and rebound a lot quicker. And it's just because, again, you've got a healthier tree, more canopy, and um, they were able to withstand the damage a lot better than the plants that did not get those those plant growth regulators. So um, it, it's really timely and, and it's really fortunate that Christopher has been able to, to, to modify his grant and go in this direction, um, see what's out there, what he's coming up with that's making a difference. Because, you know, we're going to continue to see storms. Um, I've been in Florida now for almost 20 years. My first year in Florida was 2004. And a lot of people, especially in Polk County, remember 2004. Um, when I moved, my wife and I we moved here, uh, six months into our stay, we had that first Hurricane Charlie. And uh, and by the time we got done with uh, Gene, Hurricane Gene, I think we were kind of questioning, where did we move to? You know, what, what, what have we gotten ourselves into? And, you know, it doesn't take, it's every couple of years we're, we're dealing with these storms. And um, so I think we're learning a lot more as we get into our HLB research 
there's a lot of other things that are going to benefit us, you know, in terms of, you know, how do you prepare or recover from hurricanes or, or the next pest and disease down the road. So, um, you know, it, it's really interesting to see what all Christopher's coming up with. And again, these are things that, that growers can be thinking about uh, if you know there's a storm coming or, or in planning your programs uh, for the future, just to keep those trees healthy and to withstand whatever stresses may be coming their way. Yep, very good. I know it's anything we can do to boost that the health of those trees, and it's is kind of interesting that we we always think about that in terms of HLB, but these storms kind of illustrated it as well uh, this this past year. I, I know you got some dates of upcoming events as we get into fall here that you wanted to share, so maybe we can just run through those real quick. Yeah, and uh, there, there'll be a number of events happening, OJ breaks and things that we've got scheduled. But the the one uh, group of events I wanted to focus on today, just to get on everybody's mind and calendars, uh, they have set the dates. Um, Peter Chairs has set the dates for the uh, fruit display days that we do every year. Uh, and this is the new varieties coming out of the uh, plant improvement program from UFIFAS. And so I want to get those on people's at the front of your mind and, and on your calendars, because the first one's coming up not too long from now, October the 18th, uh, will be the first of the, the, the of what I think are five display days that are being held in Lake Alfred at the CREC. Um, the ones in Lake Alfred, they're all starting at one o'clock. Um, they're generally after we have an OJ break that morning, uh, for, you know, that Chris Oswalt and others will be hosting. But again, the first one uh, is October the 18th at one o'clock p.m., uh, then we have another one, uh, November 15th uh, at 1 o'clock p.m. And then we also have one uh, December 20th, again, 1 o'clock p.m. And that's after these are all three of these are after the OJ break that's taking place that morning. And in particular, the, the OJ break on December 20th, um, we're going to have our uh, Citrus Plant Improvement team. They'll be giving presentations at that OJ break. So so that'll be a good one also as well. We get to hear from the researchers about some of the work they're doing, the new variety development and all the progress they're making, and then get to sample some of those new varieties uh, that are out there, both both fresh fruit and juice uh, as the season progresses. And um, then we, as we start the new year, uh, January 23rd, we'll be having uh, a display day, and then also February the 21st. So those are the five, again, those are all at one o'clock p.m. on those dates. Um, we will be putting out more advertisements and information for folks just to keep it, you know, uh, make sure people are aware that these are coming up. Um, uh, and at all these events, of course, all of our plant improvement team will be there. Uh, Dr. Gemitter, Grocer, Dr. Chater, our flavor scientist, Dr. Yu Wong uh, will be there as well, you know, demonstrating some of the new juice blends and things like that that she's been working on. So I encourage everybody to come out and, and, and provide feedback on those new varieties because um, it's an important part of our new our new variety development process. We want to know what people think about the new varieties. You know, we've got the field aspect where we, you know, Dr. Chater's doing a lot of work evaluating the performance in the field. Uh, but this is the performance, you know, when it comes down to the consumer side. We really want to get that feedback and have the full scope of, of how these new varieties are performing uh, as growers make decisions on what they want to plant in the future. Now, in addition to those five display days taking place in Lake Alfred, there are two other uh, fruit, uh, new variety uh, fruit display days happening. Um, one is going to be in Gainesville. This is with Dr. Chaparro and his team. And um, this is going to be on October the 11th. And um, just in case people saw it in Florida Grower, uh, it was originally advertised as October the 12th. 
Um, but we've changed that to October the 11th um, because I think the 12th is the crop estimate event that's taking place. So uh, I know a lot of folks will probably be focused on that. So um, again, October the 11th, and you'll see some advertisements about that, uh, that uh, Peter's putting out. Um, and you'll make sure that that's one that's going to require an RSVP. Um, and so you, you'll see those advertised and make sure if you want to go to that one uh, to please RSVP to that event. And then also a uh, uh, variety display um, or a tour is this from the USDA ARS, their Whitmore farm. And just wanted to give a plug for that as well. Um, and that's going to be December the 8th at 10 o'clock a.m. And uh, so that again, the Whitmore farm. And that's also another one where uh, they ask for an RSVP. And so as you see those advertisements for that, you'll need to RSVP to attend. But again, just want to get those on people's calendars. Uh, so you're, you're kind of hold the date and then can RSVP when those announcements come out. Good deal. Yeah, I'll, I'll be at a handful of those myself. Those are always fun to attend and uh, see what the new fruit tastes like and drinks like. So I'll be there for sure. Um, and I know, like you said, it's really important that growers and industry stakeholders come to at least one or two of them to give some some feedback. So we'll look forward to seeing growers uh, at some of these events as well. Uh, Michael, anything else you'd like to add? No, uh, just stay tuned. We've got a lot happening this fall. We'll be talking more about in future podcasts and advertisements coming out uh, through our uh, Citrus newsletter and through the Southeast Agnet's uh, uh, media. So uh, we look forward to seeing everybody this fall and look forward to hopefully a good harvest year this year. Absolutely. Well, with that, we'll let you go and catch up with you again next month. Thank you, Frank. Welcome to the All in, in for Citrus podcast. I'm your host, Frank Giles, and we've, we're joined by a group uh, this month and in the peak of hurricane season. So we thought it would be appropriate to speak about hurricanes. I'm joined uh, by Christopher Vincent. Uh, he's based at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alford. Uh, Jillian Michaelzak and uh, Jake Pendergrass, who is a grower. Jake, where are you located at? Uh, Zolfo Springs, Florida. Okay, great. And Jillian, how about yourself? Where are you? Where are you based? I'm also out at the Citrus and Research Education Center. Okay, great, awesome. So, Christopher, I know you, you know you you've done some work uh, after Hurricane Ian last year, which you know will not be forgotten anytime soon in the citrus industry because uh, it came right up through the heart of citrus growing region. So just to get us started, talk a little bit about the project, the research project that, uh, that you all have been working on. Yeah, so this project really came out of conversations with growers. Uh, I was talking with a number of different growers after the storm to kind of see where they were and how they felt like the storm had impacted them. And uh, a number of different growers just talked about how long it seems to take to recover from, from these storms. And I started looking in the literature and finding nothing about how how long it takes for trees to recover or how severe the damage is depending on wind intensity. And so we said, well, there's a there's an important knowledge gap here. We really need to understand one, you know, how much damage occurs when you get a category two versus category one, and and then also how long you should expect to take. Uh, for your trees to recover, and when is the more when are the more important times to assess the damage that happened? Right, is it right after the storm or is it later? 
Interesting. And, you know, this storm, uh, we had Hurricane Irma in 2017, which was another big impact on the citrus industry. It, there is some talk about the, the length of time that it took for trees to react and recover from that storm. And then here it comes in, probably as trees were just beginning to shake that off a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that was that was one of the things that we heard. I was, uh, we were talking earlier, but. But uh, Jake was saying when when we talked with him just a week after the storm, was saying, "Well, this was our first fully recovered year, uh, and and now we have another storm that's similar similar intensity." Well, talk a little bit about some of the the specific things that you guys looked at as you were doing this um, post storm analysis. Yeah. So, so Jillian, do you want to talk about what you've been doing? Yeah, so what I've been doing <clears throat> is I've been looking at the canopy at different areas of it um, and also in different areas of the planting itself to look at the recovery of the canopy over time just by looking at uh, stress indicators. And, and you were looking at, uh, and you were kind of basing this off of the wind field and were you also looking at rain <laughs> Uh, precipitation, how rainfall and those impacts as well? I've noted if there were flooding in the groves, but I've mostly looked at wind direction. Um, whenever I selected these trees, I flagged the trees that I'll be looking at based off of the wind direction. So I've got flags on the windward side and the leeward side. Okay. So, and you, some of these trees, were, were any of them laid over and had to be stood back up or, or was it uh, that severe of damage that you're looking at? Yeah, I when I was selecting these trees, I was looking at our trees looking like they were affected from the hurricane. There are some that were tipped over, so I tagged those just to see what kind of results would come from that. Interesting. And, and just in general, where are these trees at in terms of recovery? I mean, I know that's kind of hard to, to put a a fine point on, but are, are they seeming to, to bounce back some? They are starting to uh, start to bounce back. It's kind of been amazing looking at the data just over time. Um, I was start, I started to collect data out in January and here we are in August. And I've, I was seeing that the trees are taking at least six months to really hit a low point before they start bouncing back. It's kind of amazing how long it's taken, but interesting and jake just from your perspective out in the groves what what has been your observations in general after ian well the uh i guess the initial impact uh, right after ian was pretty substantial because we had a large amount of flooding we have some uh rain gauges that are electronic out in the grove and we recorded between anywhere between 18 to 22 inches of rain and 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 that's part because uh, the eyeball pretty much came over our growth and so flooding was the biggest issue and you know that leads to foot rot and uh, on top there as well so the biggest impact we saw you know the trees were shut down i mean pretty much right after the storm they like zang was saying they or jillian was saying that um you know trees took you know, almost six months before you could start seeing a response. 
I mean, we're just now seeing good flood, amount of flush coming on. And obviously, uh, we did some OTC trunk injections on some uh, acreage. And with the, uh, we did that back in March, but this was a very dry spring. So we didn't have any water in a, you know, running irrigation, you know, that helps supplement, but it doesn't really take away from the uh, good amount of effects from rainfall itself. So the trees have really just now started to show, I guess, signs of life, as you would say. So um, that's kind of my biggest takeaway so far. It's just, it's taken till now to see a response really. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on the, just, is that the disruptions of the roots and the canopy and it just takes that long for all of this to kind of sort out and, and fall out? Yeah. Yeah. So actually uh, that, it's it's interesting that Jake mentioned how dry the spring was, and because uh, one of the things that that Jillian did uh, to uh, to kind of try to understand the the reasons why is is we had this idea that maybe when bending the branches was going to be causing problems for the xylem, which is what moves the water, uh, maybe causing short or long term damage. And so this spring, she went out and. And uh, in collaboration with a, a lab, Bill Hammond's lab in in Gainesville, uh, they measured basically how easily the stems were moving this water. And even uh, places that only experienced sort of category one level storm had really significant damage to their ability to move water. Um, and that translates into what you see in the field, especially this spring where, so, so it was kind of a compounding effect, right? You have trees that are impaired in their ability to move water, and then there's that, not that much water around to move. And so they may get experience a moment of moisture, but they can't move that much water very quickly up into the canopy. And so we just saw a continuing decline of tree health through March. Um, and that's probably part of the reason why it took until at least May to start recovery. Um, just because one of the big effects is that is that the storm has basically damaged the tree in terms of how it can move water into the leaves. Interesting. So, so that you know that that just com compounds the effects of the of the re uh, damage from the storm. Um, in the other groves, uh, do you see any recovery faster or? varieties that recover faster? Are you looking at those kind of variables? Um, yeah, I have been looking at different varieties. Um, I'm still trying to sort out with them. I mean, overall, there seems to be a general trend that, you know, the trees, they they were stressed, and then there's they're starting to bounce back. <clears throat> Interesting. And and I know, like Jake had mentioned, the OTC trunk injection, you know, obviously a lot of hopes wrapped up in, in, in that performing well. And where those trees have been treated, have you seen them bounce back quicker or is are you, are you able to sort any of that out at this point? Uh, just from a visual perspective, there is one particular grove I've, I've been working with. They did OTC, and I will say their trees look really good. Um, but in terms of actually comparing which groves did uh, trunk injections and which have not, I haven't done an in-depth look at uh, differences quantitatively, if there's any. Good deal. So going forward, 
where you guys kind of have a template of how a report or an analysis will look and what are some of the uses for this information maybe from like a even a storm uh, damage reporting uh, aspect or perhaps even insurance down the road? Yeah, so that's been, um, you know, that's been something that we've been been thinking about. One is that just in terms of information as it develops, we send out a, we send out an email newsletter about once a month right now, uh, just as we, as we gather new data and as we analyze that, that, that part also takes a lot longer than you might think. And, um, but uh, as we understand a little bit better each month, we're sending out new information. People can get on that uh, list if they want to, they can email me uh, to, to find out about that. And, uh, and then in terms of reporting uh, on storm damage, that's something that we want to encourage people to think about is that uh, not all of the damage is evident right after the storm or even two months after the storm, the low point at least in terms of our data uh, for the majority of the groves that we're looking at was in, was in March of 2023. That's uh, almost six months after the storm. Uh, so obviously that is partly weather dependent, you know, with a drought in the spring, but, uh, but the possibility that the storm damage may not really be evident, even in the first several months after the storm, uh, is something that people need to think about when they're assessing uh, damage post-storm. Yeah, and I can imagine that kind of information could be helpful as well for when, you know, the industry's going to uh, the federal federal level to try to get dollars for disaster relief. You know, knowing that there's going to be that delayed effect probably helps in that argument some, I would guess. It could be. Yeah. So, so our goal is to make that uh, information and, and knowledge available and then, and then growers and and other stakeholders can, you know, do with it, with that what seems best. I know in these storms aftermath, there's all you know there are recommendations about fertilization and and you know mitigation things that growers can do to help trees bounce back. I guess this information you guys are gathering could help fine tune that uh, as more data is built on, and then unfortunately probably more storms added to this to this analysis. Mm -hmm. yeah good deal so what when this is all said and done well yeah i know y'all are you said you were doing things through the newsletter or information but will there be like a final report or uh how do you foresee that all being rolled out once it's all collected yeah well hopefully we can we can take this information and add it to existing edis documents uh that will help growers kind of orient themselves uh, post storms um you know definitely a huge takeaway for us is that irrigation and and any other aspect of of water management uh after the storm is huge uh obviously jake mentioned flooding so that's that's kind of a separate component that's also essential uh, but then then in terms of wind damage uh frequency of irrigation and anything that that growers can do to reduce uh, transpirational demand, uh, those things are going to be really important in maintaining health or, or kind of like, you know, if you think of after the storm, you see kind of continuing decline for some period of time. If you think of like, well, can we can we make the bottom of that that dip a little higher and get the trees up a little faster? Uh, 
frequent irrigation and and uh, and treatments like particle films that are going to help reduce the demand for water in the canopy are going to really help tree health stay high. Um, there are a few other observations that we've made, things like uh, the application of uh, gibberellic acid in the fall before the storm occurred in areas where the storm was lesser. And by lesser, I mean like a category one storm uh, that actually uh, we saw pretty big improvements in tree health uh, on trees that had received GA applications in the fall before the storm. Um, it doesn't help as much once the storm gets to like a category three, that's just pretty much catastrophic, but uh, but in mid-level uh, wind intensities, that was really helpful. So there are a few uh, really direct lessons that we can pull out and say, okay, these are things that we can clearly recommend to either prevent storm damage or, or uh, kind of speed up your recovery after storms come through. Yeah, and Jake, you, you talked a little bit about the aftermath of the end, but you know, from a grower standpoint, what are some of your top priorities after a storm comes through? And, you know, obviously there's the true damage where a tree's completely blown over or destroyed, but what are some of your key things when you get into that mitigation uh, phase of the storm? Kind of what we, after what we experienced, um, since a lot of our grows are on flatwood soil, it's all, you know, bedded ground. So we had a lot of water throws that's backed up and we have some irrigation canal culverts that collapsed. We had about 13 culverts collapsed during the storm. So it was really difficult to try to move water uh, out of the grove, especially since we're in a watershed. So we actually had parts of Peace River and Charlie Creek back up in our grove. So water was pretty stagnant for about two weeks. And so thank the good Lord, we didn't really see any more foot rot or just uh, roots that got burned from water sitting on it. I mean, obviously we did, but kind of that water movement is key. Uh, we also had a lot of resets. Uh, in the ground at the time that had blown over with tree bags. So that was another key. It was trying to get those bags put back over the trees, have the tree stood back up, um, you know, and just checking on our workers, making sure, you know, a lot of those people couldn't come back to work for a few weeks. So it was uh, a majority of it was me and my dad getting out there and just uh, trying to mitigate this ourselves. And, uh, you know, that it's hard to do, especially, you know, with no power and we couldn't get to parts of the groves for a couple of weeks because of culverts being washed out. And we still uh, at the moment have a lot of uh, damage uh, that we have not been able to fix yet. Um, so we had about uh, NRCS and FSA came out and did an estimate over about $750,000 worth of uh, dirt and culvert damage that we occurred and we're working with them to try to get that repaired. So, you know, mitigation and water's key, you know, getting your water to move off the grove. If you're on, you know, ridge, you know, your your practices could look different, you know. But for us, since it, you know, being flatwoods embedded ground and the movement of water. Well, I guess the, the take home message here is that a hurricane is not just a one or two day event. Uh, there's a lot of fallout that happens in the months and years that follow. So hopefully we won't have another one like that come through anytime soon. Uh, and maybe to end, hopefully on a positive note, Jake, you'd mentioned the OTC trunk injection. Uh, just talk a little bit more about in general, what you're seeing in groves, where those treatments have been made. 
right. Um, we did about half our acreage uh, this year. We wanted to just kind of see what would happen. And I'm, um, you know, very pleased uh, what we've seen. Uh, we injected some of our grapefruit and some of our hamlins and Valencia. We kind of split it across. And, you know, I, I think kind of what I've seen so far is that uh, the trees that were injected obviously are in much better shape. Uh, the fruit is holding, especially on the Hamlin side. Usually about this time you start seeing Hamlin start dropping on the ground. We're seeing a little bit of fruit retention there. We're seeing some fruit size. That's very well, you know, and so I think going forward, you know, most people, if we're going to stay in the business, need to at least look into doing most of their acres in OTC. Uh, until we have some uh, better answers come out because it, it, it's a Band-Aid. Um, I think going forward, you know, hopefully uh, with collaboration with growers, we can figure out some more uh, ways. But, you know, I, I think the OTC is definitely a big factor. And I will say the, the trees that we did not inject still, you know, they're, they're continuing to fall out. Um, you know, they're, they're not putting on new leaves. They've dropped all their fruit still even after, uh, you know, this month it'd be a year this month you know they're just they're still declining you know some of the younger trees that weren't injected they're doing okay you can kind of see them like baby steps or they're getting a little bit better but the older trees definitely that weren't injected after the storm they're, they're continuing to fall out and we'll you know have to push those probably next year and focus on replanting so i think going forward otc is a, a big help uh, going forward well, that's good to hear. Encouraging, encouraging news there, uh, Christopher, Jillian. Anything else you'd like to add uh, to before we wrap it up? Nothing I can think of. It's just been a really good experience just to work with everyone and just see how everyone's doing. Great. Well, yeah. and like I say, just keep an eye out for those newsletter mentions that will be coming as as you collect more data. And um, so I'm sure that information will be useful. Yeah, we really appreciate the growers that have allowed Jillian to to go and, and take measurements and, and their growth throughout the state. And uh, if folks want to uh, get a hold of this newsletter, they can, they can uh, just email me directly and I'll uh, tell them how to get added to the list. Okay, and what's your email? C-I-V-I-N-C-E at UFL.edu. Okay, great. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up. We appreciate everyone joining us and a good, good conversation. And like I say, hopefully we won't have to be talking about a major hurricane here anytime soon. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yep. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.